Hey, welcome back. This is Dan Blewett, and this is episode, I believe, 53 of Dear Baseball Gods. So, number one, thank you for tuning into the podcast. Obviously, I have audio versions. I have a video version here on YouTube. So, feel like uh, feel free to check out the version that suits you best. I know I reach a lot more of the younger generation on YouTube. And uh, overall, I try not to make this too visual of a show because there's only so much I can do sitting here in my, in my chair. But... I want to cover two topics today. It is the end of baseball season for us. So as of today, my organization, the Warbird Senators, we finished our last tryouts today. Um, We've had a major reorganization. We've had a really, honestly, stressful summer. We've had a lot of changes to our program. And a lot of, uh, I think, this was just a learning experience for us being in our third year, the end of our third year, going into our fourth year as an organization, uh, what we could offer, what we couldn't offer, how good we wanted to be and what we had to do as a business to be as good as we could be. So we'll cover all that in a future podcast episode of the Twinsies podcast with my business partner, Lucas Cook. I'm not going to go into today, but I'm going to cover two topics today. Number one, uh, kind of like the contract that there is in baseball with your team. So I know there's loyalty and every time or this year, every year in travel baseball, there is this just big you know, everyone's running around finding a new team. Everyone's jumping ship and going elsewhere. And uh, it's just a kind of crazy time of year. There's tryouts, kids are cut, you know, kids make new teams, kids make multiple teams, have to decide which one. There's just like lots and lots of player movement, just like there is the the trade deadline in Major League Baseball. So I want to just talk about some of my thoughts through that because I think there's a right way to do it. I think there's a wrong way to do it. And uh, I think some people just lose perspective over time of what's really important and what's not. The other thing I want to cover is uh, off-season strength training and off-season workouts. So obviously this is the official off-season for most amateurs, right? Even, I mean, well, it's, it's coming up in the off-season for pro guys in about a month. But for everyone in amateur baseball, it's pretty much off-season, whether you're collegiate and you're in summer baseball and your summer baseball is coming to an end shortly, whether you're in high school baseball and you finish your travel season or youth baseball and you're finishing your travel season, this is about it. For most people, and I know different climates like Arizona, all the weird people where it's hot all the time, uh, their schedule is different. So I'm not going to really speak to you, but most of the cold weather folks, you know, the typical spring, summer, fall, winter folks, uh, you know, this is, I guess, your season. So, all right. So number one, with travel baseball, you know, my big thing is when you, I think, play long enough you realize that the sports world is cutthroat it's very cutthroat and at the end of the day no matter how nice a person you are no matter how hard you work no matter how much you feel like you deserve success you just don't there is just there is no this uh like this podcast is called the dear baseball gods because i always thought that i was this pious this devout guy that worked hard and was a good teammate and you know hustled and did all those things well um and at times I was really still not treated well by the baseball gods. And the baseball gods are just these mythical creatures that sort of like right the wrongs and they restore balance to baseball. So for every line drive that's smashed, that ends a game on a double play, um, there's like a blooper that falls in and wins a game. You know, it's, there's that kind of stuff. When a guy doesn't hustle, you know, like uh, he makes an error in the next inning and it all just sorts of sort of evens out when you look at it. Now, That's just luck and random chance. The baseball gods don't exist. But, you know, in the grand scheme of things, 
you want to think that when you do things the right way, you get breaks and you do between people. So for me, I got breaks in my career by being a good teammate, by being a good, uh, I was coachable. So a good player beneath my coaches. And, uh, so for me, like I got good breaks because I had coaches that would vouch for me when I needed them. I, when I needed help, guys would, would make a call or whatever to help get me back into baseball. And that happened multiple times with my injuries. So I always had a network that I had to tap to get where I wanted to go. And, uh, people only stick their neck out for you when you're a good person, when you're a good teammate, when you treat them well. So for me, that's where it kind of comes around and goes around. But as far as like, you know, a lot of times there were like, God, why do I have elbow surgery again? It's like this woe is me, but like no one owes you anything. Just because you're the hardest worker in the clubhouse doesn't mean you're going to be successful. It doesn't mean you get more playing time over another guy. Ultimately, what what happens on the field is what matters the absolute most. So if there's a guy who's an absolute just jerk who treats everyone like garbage, but he is just irreplaceable on the field, he's going to stay on the field. Now, there are exceptions to that. I had a guy who was a cancer on one of my teams who was just – he brought everyone down so much – that we finally got rid of him. I mean, the manager just had finally had enough. But in general, that doesn't happen very often. So in general, you know, all those things, you do those things because you believe in them. You work hard. You treat other people right. You hustle. You play the game the right way because you believe in it. And obviously, coaches want hustlers. They want good players. They want guys who are good teammates. They want all those. And at amateur baseball, that doesn't matter. I'm more likely to, to pick a kid who has great references who people say he's a really nice kid he's a hard worker he handles failure well than then a kid who's uncoachable who doesn't listen when you try to coach him or you try to help him those things are all matter but those are like again those are the people interactions right and obviously managers make lineups and those are people but uh ultimately everyone does need to win games you know at the higher level you go they need to win games and they need to put the best players out there so even at 14 15 new baseball parents and players they still demand for the most part that if my son is better than this other kid he should get more playing time and that's true just because a kid works really hard he shouldn't get more playing time than a kid who's just better at baseball than him right now he should still get his chances but he shouldn't get more right you still only get the share that you deserve on the field for your on the field performance so it's at times really tough to uh to come to terms with that the fact that like man i i work harder than this guy and i like that guy uh, you know but i i still am the one who sits the bench while he plays or he still starts at shortstop over me that's just life and it's one of those things sports teaches you but the other thing you learn over time is you know again because sports don't owe you anything and they won't stop for you won't do any of that stuff just because you're hurt and you worked really hard to rehab you might not get another chance like it's just too bad like the team got new recruits, you're the old recruit, and now you're as good as the new recruits, but they're younger than you, so they get the chances and you don't. It wasn't fair that you were hurt, but baseball moves on. It doesn't stop. And so with all this stuff, you learn long-term that loyalty matters. You should always be loyal when people are good to you, uh, but you also have to do what's right for you. And the thing I learned over time is that everything is a one-year contract. So when I play well, well for a team and they don't perform well, I could potentially broker my own trade or go somewhere else and, and find a better team. And I know that if I don't play well, my manager will release me. He'll cut me, right? There's always that give and take. Both of us can get rid of the manager, get rid of the player. You know, it goes both directions. And I've told players that 
every year at all at our meetings like look I would cut you if you're not good enough I'll cut you from the team so if I don't do a good job as a manager as an organization you have every right to cut me back you can go somewhere else if you're not happy like that's only fair I shouldn't be allowed to cut you and then bully you into staying here or or admonish you and make you feel guilty about staying when I would get rid of you, right? It should be equal. And we should both understand that that's just, that's just the way it is. And it's hard to cut a kid who's a good kid. And I know that it's hard for kids to break up with their team or their coach when they really respect or care for that coach. I mean, we've, we've had that this year at a couple meetings where it was a little emotional at times where kids were like, hey, we don't want to come back. And we get it. So there's, uh, there's that part of it. Now, there's this other thing where a lot of uh, players sometimes think the grass is greener on the other side. And often it isn't just like anything else in life. But again, I think a lot of times in this travel baseball scene where it's optional, right? You go to high school, you're going to that high school unless you transfer districts or whatever. Uh, you go to a college, you could transfer, but it's a kind of tough process. It's not really easy to transfer. Obviously people do it every single year, but it's, it's not a quick decision. Um, and then in pro ball, you're stuck with that team unless you really like plead it this is only really an independent ball if you're in minor league baseball you're you're that ball club's property but you know an independent ball if you really want to go somewhere else that you can like plead your case like if you need to be closer to your family and there's a team close you want to be traded there like that happens once in a while but in general you're stuck so in most instances of baseball your school district where you go to junior high baseball high school baseball college baseball and pro baseball you're pretty much stuck until you're a major league free agent or you're in independent baseball a little bit, but still there's not much leeway there. You're pretty much stuck on your team there too. Travel baseball is this weird animal where you can just come and go. I can just not play for you again next year. I can play for you. You have to, it's just a different dynamic. So I think on one hand, coaches need to treat their players better because if I treat you like crap, you're not going to come back, right? High school, high school coaches are just sometimes stalwarts of the program. They're just there for 20 years, even though they're awful, just horrible people horrible coaches, they can just stay there for years. I'm not saying all high school coaches are horrible because they're certainly not, but there are some out there who are just awful, but they're still there because they're there for no reason. I don't know. And uh, you have to, like, you're just stuck sometimes. But in travel baseball, it's just this unique world where you can just jump ship every year if you feel like it. And on the one hand, again, I think loyalty and sticking with the program, as long as that program is doing well, this is what you probably should do. But on the other hand, if the program's falling short and you want to find a different one, go do that. And a lot of reasons players move teams is because, one, they're friends. So a little little group of friends, and they're like, hey, we're going to go over here. One guy wants to go there. Another guy follows. There's always leaders and followers, just like in anything in life. So one guy goes. The other guy goes with them because they get the peer pressure and they want to follow. Um, you know, that's understandable. It's your experience, and we get that. Uh, then there's also kids who kind of go to the beat of their own drum and they want to find a program that's right for them for different reasons, not because their friends play there, but because they want to feel like they're at home, whether it's a connection with the coaches or it's the way the program operates with their, their training and their developmental processes, whatever. Uh, that's a factor too. And then there's parents involved and I've been really pleased. I've been really, really happy that the vast majority of parents that we've talked to, like, they're like, it's up to my son. Like, I'm not, I'm not pushing him one way or the other. It's really up to them, which I think is the, a really good way to do it. Um, but sometimes kids don't make the best decision for their long-term development either. So, you know, you can be like, oh, I'm going to go play with my friends. Well, 
you could go play with your friends on a program that stinks that won't help you get better and you kind of lose a year versus going somewhere where your friends are not going but getting a lot better you know so there's always pros and cons uh so with all that it's just been a it's been a unique year for us because we increased what we offer as a program we increased our fees we uh did a lot of stuff last minute because it just like that was just the only way it evolved with us as a business um so it was just a really unique year and we met with all of our families and some kids came back and some kids didn't and a lot of them had different reasons and it's just uh it's just interesting and um I know a lot of people get kind of fired up about it sometimes where how could they go how but it really like when you I think when you have when you've seen players get cut and released so much when you know that your job is very uncertain and it's very fragile and you don't have a lot of control over it I think you just start to be like you know what just do what's right for you but there's a couple factors that you always want to make sure you consider which is number one is the program going to help you get better because I think the one thing that's very misguided that we've heard over and over and over and obviously everyone wants to wants to win baseball games but the number one thing when you're youth baseball should be development so if your program is going to spend a lot of time practicing with you and maybe get a lot of other things packaged in then I think that's probably a better opportunity than another team that may be really competitive have some of the best players but there's not a lot of support because long term you don't really get you learn baseball situations but you don't make long-term changes to your body, to your mechanics, to all that stuff in the summer. You do that in the off-season, you know, the fall and the winter and the spring. So with all that, sometimes it can be misguided, like, oh, I want to play for the best team, or do I want to play for the team that offers the best developmental experience but maybe isn't the best team today? Because ultimately, they there's, again, pros and cons to both. So the developmental team that has lots of developmental options, you know, they if they're not as competitive, they may not draw scouts out as much in uh, – when they're playing the team that has tons of stud players is probably going to draw more scouts out just organically now both programs could do a lot of work to help their kids with the recruiting so they could each each boost them up into put them in front of scouts and get on the horn and emails and calls and get videos out and do all that stuff so both could equally do it either one could do it better but obviously the team that has just more really talented players is going to draw more scouts out of the game so that's a pro versus a con, but at the end of the day, it just depends on where you are and how much, uh, how far you need to go. You know, we had a player in our program who is uh, a, a kind, of, kind of becoming a nationally known player because he's gone to a bunch of really nationally, a bunch of national showcases and done extremely well where he's ranked number one in our state and very highly in the country for certain metrics. So, you know, throwing 90 from the outfield, 90 from the mound, all that sort of stuff. And so his situation is completely different. He still needs to develop, but the track that he's on for travel baseball is very different than everyone else. He's sort of running around the country probably next year, uh, showing himself off on some of these teams that are just kind of like a, they fly 15 amazing kids in from all over the country, and then they play, and then they play, and then they play, and the scouts just kind of go with them every step of the way. And uh, that's one sort of experience. And then there's a lot of other kids that are like, I just want to make sure I'm good enough by the time I'm a junior to get attention from scouts because I'm not now. And that's a whole different experience too. And then there's obviously the whole continuum in between. So the travel ball experience, it just takes a lot of, I think, concerted effort to th- and, and kind of auditing to say like, where am I today? And what do I really want long-term? Because being on the best team today at 13U or 14U or 15U, if the developmental aspect is not there, it's probably not the best fit 
because no one's going to recruit you now at 13, 14, 15. I mean, some at 15, but it's very slim at 15. It's even still slim at 16. Most of the recruiting happens at 17 U baseball. So with all that said and done, it's just like, okay, where am I? What's right for me? How, how much of like an emotional experience is this? Do I really need to be with all my best friends for the summer? It's only two months, you know, like you can be with your friends all year. You can be with them after the game. Do you really need to be on their team with them? Is that the best thing for you? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. It all just depends. It's everyone's different, but you know, from a purveyor of train of trainings perspective, obviously I'm biased and think that every kid should go for the best developmental opportunity where they have the most practice, the most instruction, uh, the most high level minds helping them help like mold them to college baseball. Right. And that's my biased opinion. Cause that's kind of what we sell, but at the same time, knowing how hard it is to get a kid who's not there, there, right. To develop that pitching mechanics, the swing, all those things that will play at the next level, get them to be consistent with their training, learn how to have a, a, a good process and routine and, uh, and to capitalize on every swing and every throw that they make. Um, that stuff's really important. So, you know, it's, it's very different depending on where you are in my area. There's not many programs that have like a full package. It's really just like you pay to play baseball in the summer. And then in other areas and like big metro areas, you pay a lot more money, but you get kind of like the whole year's package included, like tons of practice and training and all that stuff. So it just depends on where you are and what you're looking for. But, you know, it's, uh, it's definitely complex and travel baseball is a very unique animal. It's very different than from when I played it. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, I played in the Baltimore Metro league, which was the best league in Baltimore. And it was just like all the suburb schools and all the, or not schools, all this, the suburb towns and the best kids played on there. And I played on like a kind of like a third or fourth place team. And it was really competitive and good baseball. And all those kids were from the big MIA schools. And the schools were like Mark Deshera went and Gavin Floyd went and all these guys that came from, from that area. So, um, but even then it was just like, you drove around a lot and travel baseball was like kind of a lot of travel, but it was really only like driving around an hour and a half radius. I never went to play these big tournaments. I never went out of state very much like me, like a couple times in my career, uh, as a young player, but it's very different now. A lot of it doesn't make that much sense to be perfectly honest. We've had a situation where we had a kid from our town, Bloomington, Illinois, being recruited by the school, the division one school in our town, Illinois state. But yet they both like this kid was going to play in Indianapolis the next two weekends with us and tournaments. And so they're both from this town, but the kids drive into Indianapolis and the scout has to follow him and drive to Indianapolis to see him pitch because we don't have any local games really, or we didn't at least didn't have any of that weekend because the tournament schedule dictates if you have any at all, we're lucky that we do have some tournaments in our, in this area, but uh, it just seemed really stupid that they're, the climate of baseball is like, oh, yeah, you can watch this kid who lives 15 minutes from your school pitch three hours away, right? It's just really strange. But everyone does the tournament thing, and that's just the way uh, travel baseball is. Really just baseball is baseball. We could organize probably a lot of games and just kind of make get all the local teams to play each other and just play here and just invite a lot of scouts and kind of the same thing. But then, oh, we'll do a round robin, then it becomes a tournament, and then it's really the same animal again, right? It's just it's it's just become a weird thing. But anyway, you know, with, with travel baseball, if I'm going to wrap up this tangent, it's really just trying to find the best fit for your kid. But at the end of the day, I think it needs to be 
number one, developmentally minded. How good are they when you're obsessed with how good the team is going to be and you're just trying to get every all the best kids or put your kid on the best team? That can be great depending on where you are because in a lot of the bigger cities, the best teams also have the best training programs. So in that case, great. But in other areas, that's not the case. Sometimes it's just like this is a great team, but I don't know. It's just like a lineage and a history of them just coming together for the summer and not really – doing much in the fall and the off season in the spring. So it really just depends. But great players are made in those nine months outside of baseball season. They're not really made in the in the baseball season. When you have major problems, uh, like a kid's swing needs to be fixed or a kid's pitching mechanics just like don't work, it's tough to fix, fix those during the season. And so if you didn't iron them out in the off season, by the time you get there, you're kind of su- kind of stuck and it's kind of set. So travel baseball, ugh interesting animal we're still learning uh how we want to go about it we've changed everything so when the when we we've been on sabbatical with the twinsies podcast if you watch or listen to that with my partner lucas uh but when we do get back we'll kind of go into this whole thing because we've had some major epiphanies and learning experiences and a big business model shift on what we've been doing so all right so what i want to cover now is prepping for off season so this is the time now that baseball season's over it's officially the off season even though it's still summer it's still like oh man i don't even want to think about baseball yet you're you do need a so number one you do need some mental time away so whatever that is whether it's just a month just to kind of like go fishing or do whatever you want to do uh that's important i know that when i finished up my seasons every year in september or late september depending on the league i was in i uh i just needed like a couple weeks just to do whatever and then I'd start right but really you should get started as quick as you can because you're number one trying to rebuild strength because it's proven that you lose rotator cuff strength uh, as the season goes if you're a pitcher and I assume that is for position players too you throw so much that you just develop weird adaptations and you actually drain away all the offseason or all the offseason strength you built in your rotator cuff so if you just kind of think of that as like an energy meter, it just depletes. So you try to build it up as high as it'll, it can be. So it's overflowing in the spring and then it just slowly depletes as the season goes. It doesn't necessarily mean your velocity goes down constantly, but your rotator cuff strength does. So number one is getting back in there and getting your rotator cuff strength back. So in our facility, we do a lot of bilateral rotator cuff stuff. We do a lot of unilateral, which means just like your one arm rotator cuff stuff. So we'd really try to get try to restore and regenerate a lot of that rotator cuff strength. And then again, at that point, it's like, okay, everyone needs to take, and this is what I want to cover more in depth is everyone needs to really audit themselves, like, and look hard and say, where am I today? And what do I need in the future? So if you're a kid, it might be like, man, I hope you grow. I hope you have like a growth spurt scheduled because a lot of that stuff is beyond their control. But when you're a little bit bigger, it's like, okay, it's clear that, all right, you're a 21 year old college pitcher. Uh, you definitely need to put on 10, 15 pounds this winter. You definitely need to increase your flexibility. Or you're pretty strong, but it looks like, okay, let's kind of like go through, like, all right, your forearms are probably lagging, your hamstrings are lagging, your glutes are lagging, your flexibility could use a little bit of work. Here's these couple of different things that we probably need to boost up before we start to like get everything else equal attention. You know, spend more attention on anything else. Just again, kind of auditing your body and figuring out where are the where are the full buckets and one of the the half full buckets so let's try to fill everything up before we start to layer more on the top 
So with all that, you know, you sort of periodize out your year and depending on who you are and how old you are, periodization is different. So periodization for a kid who is 130 pounds as a sophomore might be hypertrophy, which is just gaining muscle size. That might be his program for the next two years. You don't really have to periodize a ton when you have a constant goal. You know, periodization where you go hypertrophy or conditioning first, so you sort of get your ability to do workup. Then you do hypertrophy, which is again building muscle size. Then when you've gotten the sufficient size, you go to decreased reps to build strength. And then when you built your strength, then you learn to apply that strength faster and you do explosiveness and plyometrics and and uh, strength speed stuff. So that's sort of like the traditional linear periodization. In our facility, we kind of do like an undulating wave periodization where if you're a high school kid, you're probably trying to add weight almost the entire year. And so we never really lose that focus with you because if you can only, if you're 120 pounds today, our goal is to get you 185 pounds as fast as humanly possible. So while doing all these other things that are required for you to stay healthy and all, and all that. So with that in mind, we're not going to constantly periodize and have you doing Olympic lifts and all this other stuff when that's not going to support that goal of you not being 185 pounds. Because if you're 155 pounds and you're great at power cleans, who cares? College scouts aren't going to look at you because you look like a little kid, right? So there's all these sort of prerequisites and foundations that you need to be a good athlete. And when parents ask about, should I go to this showcase? Should I do this? Should I spend money on that? And when the kid's like 14, 15, sometimes even 16, and they're like, should I spend money on the showcase? Should I spend $250 on this? I said, well, if it's just to stack your kid up against other kids where they can see how they look compared to other young men or young women their age, uh, sure, that's fine. If you feel like that's valuable, if that's value for your money, then do it. If you're going there to be recruited to say like, okay, I want to get in front of the scout so he can like put me on his list. If they're not there yet, they're just not there. They don't like put you on the list and then like, right, I'm going to go follow him in two more years or three years. That's not really how it works. They want to know who are they going to, who are they going to go look at this spring and this summer? And they might like remember your name, but it's going to have no use whether they remember your name today or remember it or they find your name for the first time in a year. If you're good in a year and you're good enough for them, they'll notice it'll pay attention. But if you're not good enough today, it's not really going to matter. It's still going to be a game of wait and see. So with all of that, the goal should be still long-term. Like we know that if you're going to get recruited to play college baseball, that you need to be, you know, if you're a second baseman and you're 5'10", we need to get you to at least probably 165 pounds if you're super athletic and then probably heavier than that if you're not as athletic. So how can we get you there as fast as possible? So with us, we do an undulating uh, periodization where in a given week you might have a hypertrophy day, you might have a strength day, and then another hypertrophy day. Or you might have a couple hypertrophy exercises and a strength exercise where that kind of scheme is how we go because we know when you do build strength and do lower rep ranges, it helps support adding more weight to your hypertrophy, like 10, 12, 15 rep ranges. So then you, if you do more weight for 12 reps because you've done some lower rep stuff, those help support each other and they sort of like cycle in it. That's, a very, that's been a better... We figured it over time that works a lot better than just doing three sets of 12. Even when you mix exercises up and change them every three to four weeks, three sets of 12, kids don't push as hard sometimes. They don't learn what hard work is sometimes. Doing sets of four, five, and six, depending on your age, can be really beneficial in learning what is hard. 
because a lot of times in sets of 10 and 12, it's just like taxing and it's long and it's kind of hard, but the fatigue that builds up over time is what makes it hard. Whereas you don't really learn how to grind out under a barbell and how to really, how fast you have to push into the, into the ground and how fast you have to try to move that bar when you're doing a three rep squat or a five rep squat, something like that, where the bar gets really heavy relative to your body weight. So there's a lot of benefits in those in teaching kids because if you kid thinks three sets of 10 at 95 pounds is hard, it might not really be that hard except he's not, he doesn't really know what hard is yet. So when then you give him sets of five and you really push him and you squat him and you encourage him and whatever, uh, then he learns, oh man, that was, I could do 155 for five and this is what hard feels like when that weight's really heavy. Then suddenly they start pushing that bar faster on their sets of 10, their weight goes up really quick just because they learned that, oh, what I was doing it for 10 reps before that felt hard doesn't feel hard anymore now that I've done some heavier lower rep stuff before. So there's a lot of benefits there. But for any baseball player, there's just big things that you need to hit. So number one, you need to be big and strong enough. If you go watch, so back to these scouting combines, if you go to one of these combines, you'll see kids invariably who are way taller than you, way faster than you, throw harder, hit harder, and are physically much bigger. If you look at Division One recruits, none of them are little scrawny people. They're not. I mean, Division One baseball is full of big athletic kids. Now, there's lots of draft picks, and you'll see them every year where they're like 6'2", 170, and you're like, that kid doesn't look very formidable. Uh, but that kid throws like 93 across a diamond and is super athletic and has hands like you've never seen and can flag down a, you know, a ball just hitting a Bermuda Triangle, you know, playing shortstop. So, like, scouts get it, and then they're going to extrapolate, okay, this kid's an amazing athlete. We add 25 pounds as he grows up in our system between 18 and 20 as a minor leaguer. He's going to then hit balls, you know, off the, the Jumbotron in Yankee Stadium or whatever. So there's still a lot of that stuff, and uh, but they are projecting out usually a little farther probably when they're going to be a, a pro draft guy versus – a college guy and especially at lower levels they need guys who are like ready to help their program a little bit faster whereas in the minor leagues they can give a guy knowing that he's probably going to take four years to be at the level that they want so it can depend you know obviously those guys who get drafted are going to be would easily be taken at a, a, a top college program i'm not saying that but um in general division one athletes i mean really college athletes of any caliber are big physical people so it's easy to lose track of that sometimes, playing your little local baseball with your little group of kids that, you know, you don't go big places sometimes and realize that there's a lot of bigger kids than you. I mean, we've had kids that are eighth graders at 6'5", 225 in my facility before. They're rare, but they happen. Um, you know, just like the physical maturity, most of these division players, they mature physically way faster than everybody else. So everyone else is trying to catch up and trying to get as big and strong and physical as fast as they possibly can before their junior year when they're going to be scouted. And some kids that just don't grow that fast, they're just small. That's just unfortunate. That's just the luck of the draw or the unluck of the draw. And they're probably just not going to be big and physical enough in time to be a Division One or Division Two or high-level D3 or JUCO athlete, whatever it is. So there's a lot of unfairness in all that, but that's just life as well. You know, a lot of times kids are like, oh, I throw harder than him. I throw harder than him. But I'm, I've had this conversation a bunch of times with my own team. It's like, well, look, yeah, you throw harder than him, but he's 140 pounds and throws 76 
you're 165 pounds and you're 6'2 and you throw 78, why are you proud of yourself? You're just a 16-year-old and he's a 14-year-old. If he was your size, he would throw like 85, right? It's all relative, but that's not really how it works either. I mean, just because a kid is 14 and throws 70 and he's 100 pounds, and then there's a kid who's 14 and is 150 pounds and throws 75, like relative speed for their body size, the smaller kid throws way harder, right? But, and probably has a better arm and better arm action that when he does get big, he'll probably throw harder than that kid. But they don't wait for that. So if you're just, you grow earlier and you're 6'2 at 14 and then you're 6'4 at 15 and then you're 195 pounds and you're throwing 88 before everyone else does, you just win, right? You just go on to, you sign early and that's that. Those kids will probably catch up to you at some point, but growing early is just a win. And that's just how college baseball is. So spending some of that money to go see how physical division one recruits are and all these other kids that's a, I think that's a benefit sometimes. It just depends on how deep your pocketbook is, I guess. But point being, a lot of kids don't realize how far they are from their goals and how physical they have to get before the start of their junior year, the start of their junior year baseball season, to really look like a finished product for a college scout's eyes. I mean, they have to go out there and say, oh, I, like that kid's good. Not like, oh, he's good and he'll be good in two years or oh, I'll put him on my list for 18 months from now, like, when you're 17, it's pretty much go time. So with all of that, it's trying to figure out, okay, what are my biggest needs now? How do we plan this out? What does my off-season need to be? And if you have five off-seasons, you have 13U off-season, 14U off-season, 15U off-season, 16U off-season, 17U off-season. So that's five off-seasons before your senior year. Say you don't train in August and you don't train in September and you don't train in October. You do, you get, you get pick up baseballs or not pick up baseballs, but you just like start your off season plan again, November 1st. That's three months times five years. That's 15 months. That's 15 months, a year and a third that you lost to other kids who might've been training them. And I get it that sometimes there's a balance. You don't want to make baseball your job. You don't want to burn out. You don't want to hate it, all that stuff. But 15 months of dedicated training is a ton. It is a absolute crap load. And that will make the difference between one kid being 165 pounds and 175 pounds or 180 pounds. Or, you know, we see kids put on three to six miles per hour a year, depending on how hard they work and who they are and their mechanics and all this stuff. You know, if you're a pitcher, we just know that if you're doing the right things with us every year, you're going to probably be four to five miles per hour harder next season. And uh, 15 months is a whole year plus. So what could you have done with that 15 months? You know, it could have been that could be another three to five miles per hour. It could be another 15 pounds. It could be another six miles per hour bat speed. It could be another two or three tenths off your 60 time. It could be whatever it is. But that's a lot of time to lose if you just start to wait too long. And we see tons of parents call us in December, tons more call us in January. And some even call us in February and we're like, what were you doing? You know, it's like, it's, I mean, your kid didn't get anything out of the off season this year. So you have to just really weigh like, okay, what do we want to do? When do we want to do it? How do we still create some sort of balance if they need balance? Some kids don't need balance. Uh, some kids just love baseball. I was that kid. I never needed balance from freshman year in college until my, the end of my career. I just didn't. I was so passionate about getting to the major leagues and, and building myself that there weren't many days off, and I didn't care. I, I was never burned out until the very bitter end when my body just hurt so much that it wasn't fun. But 
because I was driven, there was no bon- no burnout. I just wanted to go pitch and I wanted to like do everything I could to get better. So there's a lot of kids like that too, where kids are usually, I think, getting burned out when they're, they're not the one driving the ship or driving the boat or driving ships and boats are the same. What am I, and this is not a great analogy day, but when they're steering their own ship, if they want to do baseball all the time, let them do baseball all the time. I mean, it's, it can definitely become a job over time, but they'll figure that out when they get there. But when a parent is like, no, you need to be in the gym three times a week, or no, you need to be doing this. That's when they get burned out because they're not doing it for them. But I personally, I don't get burned out on my own endeavors. I'm a hard worker. I'm constantly up doing all my online stuff now, my podcast, my writing, my online courses, all these new things that I'm excited about the second phase of my life. Now that baseball is over, like I work a ton and I kind of slave away and I tell people that I don't have hobbies or free time. Like they're like, what do you do for fun? I'm like, I don't do anything, but I, but I writing is a sort of a meditative thing for me. It's a free time activity that I want to do. Uh, creating things like my online courses and videos. Like I really like sharing stuff like this. Like I don't feel like it's work. I could be watching TV right now or a movie, or I could be doing this and I feel accomplished and I like doing this. Um, so for me, like all the stuff that I do for a living is like what I like and I don't get pas- I don't get burned out because there's still like passion for it. So you just have to figure out if this, I'm talking to a parent, is that your kid? And is baseball his thing or is basketball his thing? Or does he really just want to have all different sports and like he loves them all equally and he doesn't want to do too much of any one? And that's okay too. Just try to figure it out and they should hopefully help you figure it out too. But if you're a parent that really pushes like you need, if you want to be good at baseball, you better be doing your strength training. You better not miss it. Like you better do it. If they're not ready to do it, just let them not do it because they will get burned out that way. But if they want to go do it, they want to hit off the tee every freaking day for 150 swings that's what Bryce Harper did, and I swear he never got I'm, – I'm sure he never got burned out because he's in the major leagues and he, the guy loves to hit, right? So even the best athletes in the world, they put in as much, if not more, work than everyone else, and they also have the talent to, to go with it, and that's where they get where they get. So with all of that stuff together, you want to, again, map out, audit who you are. Be honest with yourself. If your arm strength sucks – Spend a lot of time on arm strength, kill it on arm care, go to a coach who will help your throwing mechanics, fix it because you've got to fix it sooner than later. If your forearms are your weak link, if your hamstrings, your glutes are the weak link, you just need to put on body weight. You just need to really strengthen your rotator cuff. You need to really get more flexible. Be honest with yourself and make sure you map out a good program from start to finish of who you're going to be next year. That is really important. And it's that time right now after the last season, go through your stats, go through, talk with your coaches. Be really honest and listen to their feedback and say, this is where you need to improve. And let's say, okay, next year I want to be here. Here's where I am today. What are the stepping stones that get me there next year? And that's a constant process. And uh, I know that every year when I finished my season, I took my week or two and I was thinking about what I need to improve on. And then I did a ton of it, you know, whether it was just focusing on working on my off-speed stuff, because that was a major theme towards the end of my career getting better at repeating my delivery, getting bigger and stronger. That wasn't my thing at the end of my career. I was big and strong enough. That wasn't what was holding me back. There were mental factors. I learned to meditate. I did that consistently for a couple of years. And then I feel like I didn't need that as much anymore. And I tapered off of it. And uh, so it just, it evolves. It should always evolve because as you increase different things, like again, for me at one point, 
I was like a made man in the gym. I didn't need to get stronger. I was as big and physical and strong and flexible as I need to be. Sure, there were little things I could work on in the gym and I continued to work out until the end of my career, but I didn't need to work as hard in the gym. And to say that, oh, if you're not getting working harder, you're not getting better, that's, that's not really legitimate advice. You need to figure out what you need to be and then maintain it and then divert more of your energy to other things that you're not. So for me, I was as physical as I ever needed to be by like my probably second year in pro baseball. I was 205, very, very strong, very big, very flexible. My shoulder was in great shape. My form was in great shape. And then for me, it was like, okay, that's done. It's like finally like is probably done. Let's continue to train, but let's put a little more of my mental energy into mental stuff and to pitching more and playing catch more and like all these other things where you think, well, why don't you do, you just do have a finite amount of mental and physical energy. So again, you have to figure out if it's like your, your parents allowance, like here's your $5. How do you want to spend it? Like every person has a set amount. So you can't do six hours of training a day. I mean, it, in the end that will just wear you out. And uh, so you got to figure out like how much do I want to do? How much can I do? And then what do I do with it? So again, that all comes back to your sort of off-season audit of yourself and just being honest. All right. So this is that time of year where, you know, again, hopefully if you've, uh, you went through travel ball season and the team wasn't right for you, hopefully you found it a good fit. Hopefully you talked with your coach about it, why you're leaving, whatever. And uh, hopefully your coach was like understands and was kind about it. Like it's not that big a deal. It's youth baseball. Everyone wants loyalty, but loyalty also goes both ways. And again, I'd cut a kid, he's allowed to cut me back. That's only fair, right? So we shouldn't, as coaches, be terrorizing kids and bad-mouthing them and, and all this stuff if they leave your program. Like, look, it's just every year, no matter how good of a job you do as a coach, a certain amount of kids will probably leave your program for, for reasons maybe that do or don't involve you, whatever. And, uh, and, and same thing with, uh, with kids. Sometimes kids will try their absolute best, and you just have to cut them because they're just not good enough. And that's just part of baseball, too. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can stick by them and just be honest. Hey, you won't play very much, but if you want to stay with us, you know, we'll stick by you. And that's fair, too. We do that as well sometimes. So it just depends. But, like, all this crazy, like, bullying and, like, I don't know, like, you're, you're disloyal, blah, 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 like, going in all directions, players, coaches, parents. It's just, it's just a mess, and it just doesn't need to be that way. Just it's not that big a deal. And then lastly... Make sure you're taking the time now to audit yourself, get a plan for the off season, know where you want to go, where you are now, be very honest, take the criticism and the critical feedback to heart and just go forward because this is that time of year where you want to be better. All right. So if you enjoy the podcast, uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, subscribe on iTunes. I'm now on Spotify. Hopefully you're listening to on Spotify for me. That's pretty convenient. Not that I listen to myself because I don't, uh, but Feel free to check us out. If you want to sponsor the show, you can do so on our Patreon page. Uh, grab one of these lame t-shirts that I always wear, my book, whatever else. And uh, shoot me a comment, shoot me an email, shoot me a message on my Facebook message or on my website. And if you have a suggestion or comment for the show, please just let me know. See you next week.